0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Going for Two, the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I am your intrepid host and publisher of said newsletter, Matt Brown. I'm joined here by my friend, colleague and co-host Brian Fisher. Normally, we record this show earlier in the week. Monday sometimes Tuesday depending on the guest availability. We actually did I think a pretty good show just a couple of days ago talking about what a decentralized NCAA might look like and what are some of the gigantic structural changes that might be happening in this organization and we felt pretty good about it and then before I literally before I could even publish it on the newsletter and send it out to the world, we hear uh, uh, reports of potentially an even more dramatic, substantive governing change Um, in case you are somehow, you're just getting off of a plane that's been flying for the past 48 hours and you haven't checked your email or haven't checked Twitter. Uh, Multiple reports are out there, first broken by the Houston Chronicle that Texas and Oklahoma have expressed interest in joining the SEC and that they uh, reportedly plan to inform the Big 12 they they will not renew their grant of rights uh, uh, arrangement. So the entire college sports world is now a buzz over what that might mean because that might be the single biggest change I don't know in 30 years since 1984. So, I mean, like in terms of like what people actually see on Saturdays or what they see on the nuts and bolts. I, that's arguably a bigger deal than even name and image likeness, right?
1: I, I think it just kind of continues this this crazy summer that we've had, um, you know, continuing with name, image, likeness, the Supreme Court case. You know, you have college football playoff expansion. This is really just kind of the the cherry on top of all that, because it's a, a subject that I think a lot of fans get excited about, you know, all, all, all the dominoes and, and where things could eventually go. But at the end of the day, these are major decisions being made by two flagship universities and, and two very, very big brands in not only the history of college football, but certainly going forward, you know, when, when you look at uh, some of the biggest athletic departments in general in in, in the sport, and so I think it's it's going to have a, a lot of you know spillover effects, and I think it's important to keep in mind that uh, this is not necessarily some message board rumors anymore. This is not like it kind of was back in the the summer of you know two thousand nine and, and twenty ten, and when when the real realignment phase uh, started happening with with the Pac sixteen and all that, you know, this is kind of been you know kind of floating in the back burner you really sense you know i, I would say going back to may uh, and, and maybe even a little bit before that so uh the, the fact that it's come out now the fact that it came out you know right in the middle of, of texas a&m's media session at the sec media day was was just you know perfect timing uh, for a lot of this and I, I think it's it's kind of a case as uh, uh a few texas that, that i got uh, yesterday is saying here we go again and and that's absolutely true here we go again
0: yeah, I, the, the timing is pretty fascinating, right? After talking to some folks and, and reading some other analysis over the last 24 hours, seems like a pretty safe bet that. The uh, the original source for some of this information came from a Texas A&M camp, right? It j- you just so happened to have your athletic director who normally doesn't attend SEC media days, who just happened to be there with an earshot of every single reporter to let them know that Texas A&M really opposed all of this and suddenly shifted the conversation back to them. It feels a little convenient, especially because I don't really see how anybody else involved on the SEC side Or quite frankly, the Texas or Oklahoma side really benefits by this now becoming very public. It seems like if you were able to keep it secret for this long, you would want to do it for another six weeks until you can get things a little bit further along down the line.
1: I think that's absolutely accurate, um, and, and certainly you know Brent at the, the Houston Chronicle does a great job. He, he's a Texas A&M you know beat reporter, so uh, you know, I think you can kind of draw some of your conclusions there. Um, but uh, you know on something like this, this is uh, a big enough story that, and, and certainly well confirmed by a number of other outlet outlets that you can say that um, you know this is uh, something that has, has been cooking in the in the background for a while, and uh, involves a lot more than than just Texas A and M. And I you know I think I think it's it was definitely interesting to me that uh, you know A school president um you know who, who has an interesting background you know she was the one that actually informed ross bjork uh yeah. yesterday <laughs> at, at sec media days about this story and so uh you know i, I think it's it, it's notable certainly that uh, this did get out uh, kind of via a&m means because let's, let's face it you know if, if you're texas AM, not only have you kind of staked your identity now on 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 being an sec program and but being the the sec program in, in the state of texas and after such a, a acrimonious divorce and, 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 trying to set out, uh, you know, really some separation between you and, and the university of Texas after decades together and, and decades of infighting too, between those two, uh, just kind of finding yourself right back where you were, uh, 15, 20 years ago. You know, I, I think it's definitely disappointing to a lot of A&M fans out there and, uh, and to a lot of A&M boosters who are certainly not happy with what has transpired these last couple of days.
0: No A&M boosters and fans and A&M coaches, A&M's, athletic director, anybody involved with with that entire department. I think it would be a significant problem for them. If, if Texas and Oklahoma came back in, you're right. Not only did that really undermine all of the work that you did over the last 15 years work that came with significant political and reputational costs, but you're also your, your whole niche, your whole hook within this athletic department becomes undermined. Now, what you're able to really take to market to recruits to um internal texas media as you try to grab for attention it's it's your you your your hook is now significantly diminished i, I think it, i think it's a problem for a lot of other sec schools that one of the the big questions here i guess is whether there's going to be able to be su- sufficient SEC opposition to this particular move you right we, we, we know very clearly where Texas A&;M stands. You've had uh, some conflicting reports over the last you know eight, 10 hours about what where the, the vote count could to potentially come some some have said no Missouri's not really on board with this either. They also partly left to get away from Texas. Uh, some have said that there's not really a significant institutional um, pushback. I'm going to be interested to see now that this is all very public, what kind of feedback from other stakeholders, schools in, say, Arkansas or Mississippi, uh, or for that matter, the other like, major, major power brokers within this conference, like in Alabama or Florida, get? Because if your AD and your university president think one thing, I and mean, you get 400 emails from other people saying, don't do this, and you realize that maybe the internal pecking order that you've been able to have over the last 60 years is not going to change in a very big way, maybe you change your mind, maybe you don't, but... I mean, this, the I don't know if you can completely predict what the the third party reception to this is going to be and we've we've been down this road before with texas and oklahoma well, I,
1: I would go back to the fact that and I, and I would just make it known that you know greg sinke is a very savvy operator in, in college athletics and has been for, for a long time so i think if if anybody can kind of navigate these these uh, uncharted waters for the league and you know potentially add two big brands i, I would say he's right at the top of the list and i, I don't think he was happy by any means that, that this got out there but uh, I, I think just knowing him and, and seeing how how joking uh, he, he was at SEC Media Days, uh, you know, after this story had come out. That I, I think he's he's okay and, and he's comfortable at the position not only he's in, but the league is itself. That, that said, I, I think you know it, it's important to keep in mind that you know Texas A&M uh, is is a bit of on an island here. You know, they, they do have a new new school president, uh, you know, who has has an engineering background, is very tied in with you know a number of, of key power players on on that side of the fence uh, there in College Station, and you know I I don't know if it, it's going to be enough, you know, really for them to kind of block a a potential move like this you know it it is going to come down to some politicking and that is a new face in in a room full of you know experienced presidents and and chancellors that uh, are going to have to vote on the matter you obviously have uh, you know some some interest in terms of what is ESPN going to promise, you know, with with the potential addition of two flagship brands? Is that going to be enough money, even though you're splitting it now 16 ways? Uh, is that pot going to grow big enough to where it is going to be interesting for a Mississippi state, uh, for an Arkansas, for a Missouri to say, you know what, if it's five to 10 to 20, 20 million dollars a year? Maybe maybe that is going to be enough for everybody to kind of calm and, and have cooler heads and, and, and relax a little bit and say, you know, what maybe this is good for the league. And I think that is still a bit of an unknown is, is what the TV partners think about this. But um, th- there's a lot of moving parts in this. And, and there's a lot of you know, things, you know, at, at the president chancellor level that are not even filtering down to the athletic director level that uh, are, are at play with this move as well.
0: Yeah, when we talk about conference realignment news, and this is something I wrote about in the newsletter, and I want to try to beat into everyone's skull because we're in for another three and a half months of this minimum all over the country. A couple of things we need to know about sourcing. Coaches, especially assistant coaches, but also head coaches generally know almost nothing about what's going to happen with conference realignment. They are uh, rarely significant... uh, uh, significantly included in these kinds of conversations. Um, when they are, it, it's with the understanding that whatever the, you tell the coach that it's going to come out some other way. So if you are an outlet or an entity whose major sourcing is with coaches or assistant coaches, usually a radio station, sometimes a recruiting website or a small blog, you are probably not going to have the most accurate juice. Like you'll be able to have sources say such and such, but that person probably doesn't know. Athletic directors are part of these conversations, but that doesn't necessarily mean they always have all of the information. Like I, I wrote this earlier. I am not going to sit here in front of this microphone and pretend that I am the, the all connected, you know, super college football reporter, you know, newsbreaker person. Right. I have a small niche and I try to find news within that within that niche. Since I've been doing this, I have been on the phone with athletic directors where I knew more about conference realignment plans in their league than they did. And that is part and sometimes they, that's part of the reason some of them talk to me, um, because Presidents are the ones that make this decision systems, chancellors, sometimes lawmakers, and they also don't always share this stuff with athletic directors, particularly where um, uh, secrecy is really important. Like, do I think that uh, everybody at Mississippi and Arkansas and Missouri knew about the the Texas situation at, at the AD level a month ago? Probably not. Um, and and I, that is, that's also in, in part why this news blindsided so many people within the Big 12 at the AD level and in that level. It's it's the the presidents know, the regents know, and those people don't typically have super deep relationship with beat writers. And then there were people who know where the bodies are buried. They work in broadcasting, that work as as, as industry consultants, that help broker a gajillion these other deals. Um, if you're not talking to those people... Chances are that's not the most, you know, the, pl- the most plugged in thing. And there's going to be a lot of innuendo that's going to be flying around over the next couple yeah, of months. I would
1: definitely add to a couple of things there. I, the, there was a, a number of, of surprised reactions around the Big 12 uh, to this news. You know, I I was surprised, too. I don't
0: I don't know about you. I thought all of these conversations were a year away from happening. I was not expecting anything to happen in July. I,
1: I think everybody was, you know, especially after the, the year, really, the, the conference in, in college football and in college athletics in general has, has been through, you know, the, the Big 12 work closely together with each other. And I think everybody kind of not, not to say that everybody was was kumbaya with everything. But I, I think the relationship around the league was really better than. Uh, has been in, yeah. in years, um, you know, both at the athletic director level, at the coaches level, certainly at the president and, and chancellor level. But, you know, this this is uh, something that is, is not just limited to those folks. You know, it, you mentioned the Board of Regents. Um, you know, there are certainly a number of regents involved in, in this particular story that, that are kind of driving things, um, you know, which which is typical uh, of these things. This is a, a decision that is, is is not necessarily undertaken, uh, you know, with the express input of, uh, you know, the. Athletic director or the or the coaches. This is something. Uh, this is a higher ed issue uh, more than anything. Uh, as much as it is focused on on college athletics, and I, I think it's important to kind of keep in mind that you do have a new president at Texas who who is an alum, Jay Hartzell. Uh, you know, he he's got a good relationship with with a number of influential people there uh, behind the scenes. That's how he's he's got the job. That's how he's kept the job and and got that interim tag taken off. Now he he doesn't have a a great relationship with everybody that that is a power player at texas coming off of a really controversial you know a uh, few months now here with both the eyes of texas and, and everything related to that yep. um you know there, there's been some issues with the state legislature recently uh involving a couple of laws and and lawmakers dipping into higher ed that uh, he's had to deal with so there's been some quibbles there um you know i think it's important to keep in mind though that both he and and a number of the current regents right now at, at texas are, are much more focused on on you know really getting the athletics portion of Texas right and, and and fixing things on that front that's why they made a coaching you know decision and, and paid a massive amount uh, to Tom Herman and, and his coaching staff to go away um, you know this is a, a decision that is kind of following that up you know and, and I think that's why you know, UT has, has kind of been driving the bus and it's also important to keep in mind that Jay Hartzell you know really was heavily involved um, you know with the Big Twelve. If you, if you go back to, uh, I think it was, you know, this spring, this past spring, you know, the Big 12, there was a story out of out of Lubbock uh, that the Big 12 uh, had at least expressed some interest in renegotiating their TV rights early, you know, with ESPN and Fox espn fox said no uh there was you know a committee there was consultants hired by the big 12 uh gordon gee was involved in this the texas tech president there's really kind of a a small committee of of presidents and chancellors that were devoted to this issue and and i think that's where the genesis really of of this this potential move um, you know really kind of started to pick up steam is is when the tv partners said no to the big 12 you know redoing their their tv deals early and and getting a bit of uh stability for the league uh in, in the near future especially with playoff expansion on the Horizon, I think that was really kind of the 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 first first uh, straw that kind of broke this camel's back.
0: Yeah, I, I want to go back really quick to to something you mentioned that's a little bit unique to Texas, uh, the, which which complicates this situation here uh, on a couple of different levels, and that's lawmakers, state lawmakers. Now, throughout conference realignment, and in a lot of different states, lawmakers have been involved in the conference realignment process. Um, uh, governors have been have been involved in, in this process. And this was this was true with Texas. The Big 12, as it's currently you know set up right now, it's an open secret. Right. Baylor is in this league because Baylor grads within Texas government dragged them into this league. The, the part of the reason there, there's not a Pac-16 is because there was there was opposition. Now, as I understand it, the political situation now is not the same as it was in the early 2010s that might make some of this uh, the lawmaker you know, infighting uh, more challenging. One of those is like, I, I, as we're recording this right now, Texas Democrats are not even in the state right now, right? Did, there Aren't they all in D.C.? Yeah, and, I,
1: and I think that, that's important to keep in mind. The the state is so number one, the Texas legislature only meets once every two years. So I think that that's important to kind of keep in the back of your mind. But the governor can call a, a special session and, and that's what they're in the middle of now. A lot of this is, is related to really a focus on the election laws and and what's going on at stake and um, you know that, that's a big reason why the texas democrats have pulled out to essentially make sure there's not a quorum uh, there and and that that's that's huge you know i think that is uh, a, a, a thing that you know really we, we haven't seen um you know in, in the middle of a, a realignment you know story uh the state legislature essentially is, is deadlocked and and that's something to kind of keep in the back of your mind it's also important to note that let's let's face it the governor of texas right now you know greg abbott is a he's a texas guy he's a big you know mute booster and uh, is prominently kind of you know touted his 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 horns up there and and i think that's a, a notable uh side story to this you know if you go back to when a&m left for the sec rick perry an A&M, a&m guy you know he, he was in charge of the governorship then uh going back you mentioned baylor in, in the big 12 ann richards famously uh you know dipped her toes in, in that water and and the, gov- the current governor greg abbott he, he's facing what amounts to be a, a pretty tough re-election fight coming up uh, as well you know so so to see uh, how he's going to react to this story and, and and what kind of pressures you know both public and private he, he's going to put on on both UT and and I think by by extension OU and, and the SEC is going to be interesting because he, he's going to need those Texas Tech grads to start to vote for him not only in, in the Republican primary but in, in the governor governor's race if he makes it that far as well so uh, the political situation in Texas ha- ha- has been crazy uh, even before this and, and then I think you just add this on top uh, where you have a lot of interest in in the state of college football around the state um, with various allegiances, you, you're going to start to see a, a lot more political influence on this story in the coming days and weeks.
0: Yeah, we've already had, uh, I think, one st- a Texas House member who graduated from Baylor already issue a statement today saying that he's going to propose uh, a law that, uh, Texas wouldn't be able to leave the big 12 without the legislature approving it. And and whether that actually happens or anything, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm an expert on, on various Texas, uh, political headwinds sitting here in my, in my studio in Chicago. Um, Dan Patrick, the the Lieutenant governor of Texas, he's like a Maryland guy. And uh, as far as I know for, for college athletics and he'll he'll change whatever hat he needs to wear to, to appeal for that particular moment. Um, Texas grads are on the state Senate uh, Higher Education Committee, and they're all over uh, some of the other appropriations committees. It's, so it, it, it's a different world. I, I'm not going to say here and, and, and definitively predict one way or another, but I believe from what I've heard so far that there would be potentially more roadblocks in the Texas State House than there would be in the Oklahoma State House, where they have much less leverage. Despite their governor being an Oklahoma State guy, it's not. The 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 power that the state house has over the public universities and their appropriations it's not the same. Like I, I don't I don't think anybody in Oklahoma City on the government payroll can stop Oklahoma if this is what they want to do.
1: Yeah, I, I think if Oklahoma certainly wants to make this move, they, they would be allowed to. Um, you know, p- the political situation in Oklahoma is, is also interesting. I mean, you know, they, they have a new president uh, who is also an, uh, an alum and and pretty well connected, uh, you know, around the, those circles. But, um, you know, this is a, a big test for him. And uh, he's not David Warren. You know, I think David Warren, you know, brought a gravitas to not only that, that state overall, but certainly the, the university to where, you know, a lot of people just kind of followed what he said. You know, former U.S. Senator. You know, just just drew a lot of that political influence and, and had maybe an oversized impact uh, as a result of that. But um, you know, this is not something that that I think OSU um, you know wants to see. They they sent out a, a very strongly worded statement uh, about things. I, I don't know exactly how much they're, they would be able to do from from a, a legal or, or uh, you know constitutional standpoint uh, in, in the state of Oklahoma. But you know, you mentioned the the governor is an OSU guy. Um, you know, he, he's gotten into some some recent tiffs with the OU president currently the new OSU president uh just took over a couple days you know a couple weeks ago um you know welcome welcome to the big big chair uh after taking over for for Burns Hatches and and I mean you look at uh you know their their situation uh it's definitely a a bit of a a pickle up there in, in Oklahoma City as well but not quite the the same situation uh that we see down in Austin
0: um the, the fact that you're going to have a couple of places to have more leadership vacuums or places where they, they, um, the leaders are a little bit newer, it, it will, will make it harder for those institutions to, to really push my my understanding right now, I would be surprised if any, if like Oklahoma state house prevents this from happening, but what Oklahoma state could do. And I would imagine this is what the other Texas schools and perhaps schools in Kansas are going to do is if this breaks up by God, they are going to take Texas and Oklahoma for every red cent they possibly can. And there's two big reasons for that. One, there's a grant of rights deal through 2025 right now. And if Texas and Oklahoma don't want to have four really ugly, you know, years, or they're lame ducks they're going to have to pay a ton of money tens of millions of dollars potentially to get out of that to say nothing then of other exit fees other lawyer fees and potentially sorry for ruining your league forever kind of kind of fees because I, I was talking to a couple of people on like the, on the television side yesterday if Texas and Oklahoma leave, you can pick any four teams from the G5 and any kind of configuration you want to backfill those and have 12 teams. The tier one television value of that conference, the Big 12 conference, then is much closer to what the American is getting than to what the Pac 12 is going to get. It's not a power conference anymore. No disrespect to, to Texas Tech or, or to, to even Kansas basketball. It could be a very, very good basketball league, but there is no anywhere in the same phylum um, from the national marketability from, a, from a, a tier one television deal to, to come close to replacing what you had in Texas, Oklahoma. Like, I, I mean, if you, if you bring in Boise, BYU, Cincy, UCF, whatever, right? Or, you know, any other configuration, some combination of those four schools might literally be your most marketable, your new flagship program. And what I look you know, I got, I got a lot of BYU listeners here. If that's the, the most marketable team in your conference, your conference has big problems. That should be your fifth best team. Not your Not, not, not the team you put on the primetime games.
1: Well, I think that's kind of driving some of the, this, you know, ex- expansion and, and, and realignment push as, as well from a, a Texas no you standpoint is, you know, a, a, as much as they do have, you know, historical ties with, with Texas tech and, and Oklahoma state and, and, and Kansas state and all those other, you know, over the years, a, at the same time, you know, you look at, at what the, those draws are around the Big 12. You know, there, there's a reason we, we've labeled this really as, as kind of a, a two team league. And they've been able to have some oversized sway um, because nobody else has, has really stepped up. And and let's face it, I think you, you can also point out the fact that, you know, if, if you're Texas, if, if you're Oklahoma in particular, which relies heavily on out of state students, you know, you, you're not really grabbing a, a huge number of folks by by going to play Kansas State and, and having some marketing ability, uh, bringing that front porch of the university to the state of Kansas. Um, you know, if, if you are going, if you are uh, on the flip side, if you're going into Mississippi, if you're going into new areas, um, and you are exposing your brand to different parts of the country, especially in the South, if you're going into Florida in particular, um, this is a, another way for you to get those out-of-state students, which pay obviously out-of-state tuition. That, that's something, uh, you know, Oklahoma relies heavily on. I think for Texas, you know, they, they have been looking, for ways to kind of not only diversify their, their student body, but for to bring in more out-of-state students that are paying those higher fees, I, I think there is a bit of a, a again a higher ed component to this realignment push, and and I think you look at um, you know some of these these schools, I, I think that the Texas boosters are. are are kind of put up, fed up a little bit with, you know, having Kansas state and Iowa state being, being some of their home games, they would rather see, you know, Florida, they would rather see Georgia. They would rather see Alabama coming into DKR and keep in mind that there, this is also a push, you know, we've mentioned Olympic sports before, you know, Texas just uh, just won the uh, Director's Cup, you know, stole it from Stanford. And I, I think, you know, I think they, they would look at, you know, other peers in, in other uh, sports as well. You know, they're, they're building a new basketball arena. You know, is, is Iowa State really going to move the, the basketball needle uh, at that new arena? Or would Kentucky or would Alabama or would some of those other programs? Would, would a guaranteed date for Texas A&M in, in some of those places uh, move the needle a little bit more? I think that's that's something you can also kind of consider in the back of your mind as well.
0: If I was to create some kind of grand theory of conference realignment from studying this stuff for for a long time, going back to like the 1920s, I would I would say that as the power, the power dynamics within a league become more imbalanced, it becomes more likely that that league breaks up unless everybody is making money hand over fist. And you're right, like and this this was this was the same dynamic a decade ago. You have two schools that have way more advantages um, than everybody else. And when you look at some of the other leagues where we have similar situations, well, Boise State has that over everybody else in the Mountain West, and they've gone to court. And Boise has not exactly been shy about looking at other options. We've, this has been an issue in the Pac-12 since it was the PCC with uh, the Los Angeles schools and to some, some extent the Bay Area schools you know, expressing frustration with having to pool resources or share things with the more uh, rural Pacific Northwest institutions. The the the, the Big Ten as a rare example, I think of, of everybody getting along a little bit more, in, in part because even though you have two schools that are far and away the, the largest brands, you've shared revenue equally. Th- these schools have been have been together for longer than any other league, but for other places, this this is an issue. And and I understand the impetus then for wanting to potentially move, um, going from a league where everybody has told you that you're pretty. And that you're important and that you are by far the, the most influential entity since you've been in a conference to a league where that will unquestionably not be the case is going to be a very big cultural adjustment. Um, and we saw, you know, in times with the Pac-12 in mean, the Big 12, when Texas and Nebraska wanted to be seen as more of a, of a peer uh, or have a good, similar influence to Texas. We saw how that went. We saw how Missouri felt about it. We saw how Am felt about it. Texas won't be able to pull that you know that same kind of clout when they go into these meetings. and Alabama is on one side of the table, and Florida is on the other side of the table, and AM and LSU are there too. And they can all say, you know, we we're, we, we literally are peers. Like you can't come in here and run this league. There's four and a half five other Texases. That is going to be an adjustment.
1: To, to say the least. And I think that how the egos of, of Texas and Oklahoma kind of react to that and, and, and manage this process is going to be fascinating to kind of see that, you know, that said, I, I wouldn't say that this is any sort of done deal or, or anything like that. Obviously, the, the story is, is leaked. You know, I, I do think they're somewhat close to saying that they they will not renew the, the grant of rights. I, I would say that could come out in the next couple of days or the weeks, so, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, I think it, it's going to be fascinating to see how that, now that this is public, how that reaction is, is going to kind of drive the, the process. We've, we've mentioned the political aspects, but uh, I, I'm also kind of curious to see, you know, is could somebody swoop in, you know, I, I think independence, certainly from a Texas standpoint, it's still on the table. I think the ACC, you know, maybe they could swoop in. We, we, we just don't have a book necessarily on Jim Phillips operating in, in this manner. They would love, I, I think at, in, at the end of the day to see texas and oklahoma out there if if they could at any chance to get at the table and and make their pitch they would they would do so because they're stuck in a a bad tv deal right now adding texas and oklahoma would unquestionably allow them to renegotiate with espn and increase those rights by a massive amount and and i think um you know we're, we're going to see uh, some of the other leagues. Even, I, I think you, Pac-12, you know, their, their new commissioner is going to take the stage on, on Tuesday at, at uh, Conference Media Day. We, we have no book on him either. You know, could he end up pulling off the feat that Larry Scott uh, attempted and, and miraculously land, uh, you know, Texas and Oklahoma? You know, I, I think there's a lot of scenarios on the play. And while it does look like there's a potential divorce headed uh, in the Big 12, where these two programs ultimately go, I think it's still a matter of, uh, that's kind of up in the air.
0: You know, it's funny, the, the, the kind of pre-written story that, that I was anticipating writing was that Texas ends up going independent and signing a similar deal with it with an NBC that Notre Dame has and get an annual game with Notre Dame and, um, and, and find some other home for some of their Olympic sports. This, this is, this is not how I anticipated the direction the story would go, um. You better believe I'm filing a gajillion FOIOS <laughs> and I'm trying to find out what what everybody else is saying and talking about this. And I know that every other conference commissioner is all calling each other up too, trying to pump each other for information. Um, real quick, there's one other thing I want to talk to you about, talk to you about this. But before we do, speaking of pumping people for information and FOIOS, um, I wanna quickly remind you that this podcast is part of Extra Points, the newsletter. And if you are interested in conference realignment from the Big 12 and the SEC down to the Southland and the WAC um, and, and everywhere in between, you're going to find a lot of those updates in this newsletter. I have an update coming up about the next stages of the de- uh, development for the EA Sports College football video game. I have some interviews with, uh, uh, with with thought leaders and influencers here throughout the college athletic landscape from football, basketball, other sports. You can subscribe for free. Uh, and get two newsletters and this podcast at extrapointsmb.com. But you can also become a paying subscriber, get the full experience, help support what Brian and I are doing. You can get that for eight bucks a month. But if you use promo code podcast, you get 20% off, save a little bit of money, Get the full experience, make sure you don't miss anything, uh, and you'll be much more informed about not just who's going to end up in what league, but how to evaluate these potential rumors, how it all fits together from the big leagues to the small leagues to the revenue sports to the Olympic sports, everywhere in between. You can follow along at extrapointsmb.com. Brian, let me... Let me just ask you a question here. We can, we can sit here we we we've talked a lot about the lawmaking and the behind the scenes and the, the 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 all the palace intrigue with everything. Let me just ask you a straight question. Do you like this this potential move OU Texas to the SEC? Does this make you more of a fan or does this help you enjoy college athletics more? Would you view this development as a net positive
1: you know I, I frankly don't really care i just want to kind of you know see the games and, and i do think the kind of behind the scenes machinations of, of everything that's been, been going on is, is fun to to read and and to cover and to talk to folks about but um yeah at the end of the day i think uh w- once the games kick off that that's kind of the focus now that's being said you know look i have I, i'm from texas i've i've a ton of my family members have gone to OU or, or UT. And uh, I obviously have those, those familiar ties. I, I I've uh, too many, been to too many UT OU games to, to count uh, over the years, uh, you know, being from Dallas. And I, I, I think it's just going to be, it, w- it would be different. Um, I, I would welcome the return of Texas playing Texas A&M and, and, OU and in, included in that mix um, you know it would be great to see as we'll, we'll get to see this this fall you know Texas play in Arkansas you know some of those old Southwest Conference rivalries um, you know kind of being uh, brought up again but at, at the end of the day I, I think uh, you know you're, you're going to see whatever's on the field and and it, it does mean a ton of money it does mean a, a lot of changes you know around the college landscape I think if, if if somebody could snap their fingers and kind of go back to the way it was you know 15 20 years ago where you had the pac 10 you had had the you know the big 12 with actually 12 teams you had the big 10 um you know kind of going back to uh, to what it used to be uh, i think everybody would a lot of folks would sign up for that but uh, a lot of that's just nostalgia and, and i think uh you know i think you, you look at going forward is this going to be a good move for ut and, and ou as universities i think it could be and and i think i, w- I would be sold on that and uh i, I would be excited to see uh, much more regular occurrences of texas playing georgia and 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 alabama playing oklahoma i i would sign up for that but i might be in the minority on that
0: i is very important to me i think to hear how texas and oklahoma or how any of these schools get up there and 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 argue and explain this is why i think this is better for my university not just the texas program looking at this there's one thing that i think is very very clear doing this make, make, making this decision to leave the Big 12 and join the SEC would make those two institutions and likely the other institutions in the SEC more money maybe is that 8 million dollars a year more 10 million 12 million dollars a year more but it would definitely increase broadcast revenue and at least in the short medium term probably ticket revenue as well this is the thing that is honestly the north star of extra points, it was it was this exact thought that, that kind of radicalized my thinking about how I feel about this industry at all. Um, the, I don't understand why regular people who don't work for these schools um, should really give a shit ab- about the money, and I'll tell you why. And I and I, I do think that that's the correct word here to use, right? When I, so much of my publication and so much of my professional life over the last year and a half has been about following money and talking to athletic departments about how they get money, how they spend money, where that money should be used. And when you can draw a straight line to say like, we're chasing this revenue because we want to do X, Y, or Z, then, you know, I think money's a tool, but I think it is interesting. And in the, and in the the interest here of schools and vendors and fans and players to know how the big South or the big West or the big sky is going to chase revenue because they might be able to say, look, $800,000 more, means that we can lower student fees or that we can provide this, this baseline thing that we're not able to do. But this was the argument that I heard all the time from Jim Delaney and a big 10 country where I grew up about the necessity for expansion and how, yes, this is going to make all of our schools a shit ton more money and it's going to be beneficial in a bunch of significant ways. And here's what we've seen. Did any big 10 school, or for that matter, did literally any power five school over the last decade, add a single sport and increase scholarship opportunities for athletes? The answer is no. Did any of these schools significantly use that windfall of revenue towards um, not facilities, but towards uh, literally like uh, either in, in changing scholarship amounts or changing benefits to give to those particular athletes? By and large, the answer to that question was no, until they got sued and forced to by litigation to add some of those things. Did the day-to-day fan experience from that expansion significantly improve things? This is going to depend on the fan, but if you're in the Big Ten, um, yes, your school made a bunch more money. And I'm an Ohio State fan. That's where I went. I have to watch Ohio State play Rutgers every single year. I have to watch them play Maryland every single year. And that also means that I will see less games from Ohio State against Wisconsin. Against Iowa, against Minnesota, and here living in Chicago, it means that Ohio State will come to Northwestern, a game that I I can you know walk to. Uh, you know, once or twice a decade where before that would have been more likely. So I actually significantly gave some things up. It means that maybe now basketball tournaments, which are now easier drives, are sometimes now going to be completely somewhere else. If you're in the big, I mean, if you're in the big 12, do you really, if you're a general fan, you look at this and go, West Virginia was a real positive. I feel really emotionally invested in in those games. Probably not. You know, maybe if you're in the Pac-12, it might feel differently. But for a lot of these other leagues, I don't think you could draw a big positive. What did happen is- a bunch of coaches got a lot more money, a bunch of facilities that don't really improve recruiting got built to the point now where friggin Northwestern has a space station and is recruiting almost exactly the same kind of athlete as they were before because it's Northwestern. And a, a bunch of other people that aren't fans and aren't athletes got paid. And I look at this and I, 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 it, it, it honestly makes me angry. Like, like actual capital A angry to, 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 to cheerlead or look at these decisions. Like, well, if it makes more money, then it must end up being okay. Texas already makes more money than everybody else. It's the biggest athletic department in the country. It's already filthy rich. If money was the problem, they if they if or rather, if they knew how to buy a championship, they would have already done that already because they have the most money. Um, unless a school can come out there and say, this extra revenue in the SEC is going to improve, literally improve X, Y, or Z. If they're going, if their text is going to come out and say, "We're going to make an extra ten million dollars, and it's all going towards regular student scholarships. It's all going to to, to unfurlow the 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 staffers that we got rid of before. It's going to, to to help with international student recruitment or any of those things. That's one thing, but that's not what's happening. And then to see, I think some some really significant negatives that will come from this. Where it's not clear to see the benefits, I think it sucks. It, it, it might be great that we, that as a as a disinterested fan or a third party, we get to see Texas Alabama a little bit more often. That's cool. But if you live in SEC country, if you're an, if you're like a, a Mississippi State fan, by expanding this league, depending on how they drop the schedules, that means what Florida might come to Mississippi State once a decade. You know, less than that, some of these schools you are barely going to be in the same league as enough as it is. There, there's there's big drawbacks, and I don't think money alone is an effective argument for, for changing things even more. You
1: know what I mean? Wow. You know, I, I, think I, I, I wish if we didn't have any rights issues with it, I, I would, I would put the the Howard Beale uh, from, from network. in after, after that, uh, that,
0: I'm mad as hell. That's right. No. Yeah. Like I, it, there's, there's, it's, it, it, it's, it's, you, you, you know, no, you don't, you don't get a dividend check. If Texas beats revenue, if Texas brings in extra money, you and me, and fans and a softball player at Texas don't get anything more. So like, I don't I don't look at that and think that it's something worth celebrating in a vacuum.
1: I, I, I would agree with a, a lot of you just a lot of what you just said. But I think that the fact is, you know, this is this is a business now. You know i think you know higher ed has become much more of a, a big business uh, certainly college athletics uh, you know really kind of going back to when when the pac 10 expanded into the pack 12 was was really a, a demarking point you know tom hansen retired and the good old boys network of, of college athletics you know really has has gone away since then you know this is a big business yeah this is uh you know really supporting not just the the athletes themselves but um you mentioned the, the multi-million dollar coaches salaries the, the palatial buildings um you know there's an industry now you know It is, um, you know, consultants. It is, you know, brand identity uh, folks being involved with things. It's, uh, you know, websites that are being run like commercial properties. I mean, this is this is very much, uh, you know, the the golden days of of really it being about just really the, the teams playing on the field. Those days are over now. There are some benefits, certainly from, from the fan standpoint. You know, you, you get to watch a lot more of college football now than you ever have been. You know, I think it, it's yeah. it's kind of crazy to think back when not only were there three channels and, and you only got to see, you know, maybe one college football game uh, on a Saturday. Now you can see pretty much everything that has a camera pointed at it. Uh, yeah, you might have to pay for, for some of it, but pretty much every college football game nowadays from NAIA level up to uh, major college football at the FBS level, it, you know, has some sort of television or streaming deal in. in to where you you can watch it and and I think that's, that's ultimately good for the football ecosystem because, you know, there are fans that want to see their, their sons or their daughters uh, in, involved in college athletics or, or they want to see it's just the games because they're an alum. And I think that has been a, a big positive. But, you know, you mentioned a lot of the drawbacks and, and with with every positive does come some negatives. And I think we're starting to see that in, in college athletics where we're starting to see, you know, really the, the all almighty bottom line being put ahead of, of a lot of other things. And I think that a lot of that's you know really come as a result of essentially a new generation taking over not only with the the, uh college conferences you know with with new commissioners here and there but uh, a lot of these new presidents a lot of board board of regents have really kind of turned over um and and gotten a lot younger and and i think that that it it cannot be more uh it's tough to not lose sight of that um because we we've gotten some uh you know some massive changes you know to the the entire industry and, and i don't think we're we're going back by any any stretch of the imagination yeah i i i I think it's
0: just just speaking for me personally, right? I, I don't really consider myself to be a starry-eyed ideologue or, or somebody that, that's overly nostalgic about the past year. Like I recognize it's part, part of the thesis of my whole newsletter, my whole company is that, th- that this is a business. And, and I don't think all of these changes are bad. Like on the balance, I would probably argue that uh, Board of Regents, has been a net positive for not just college athletics, but for certainly for fans, it rules. I can watch a bunch, a bunch more college football games. I think it's the, 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 a lot of the products, because of some of these, this deregulation has certainly been positive for fans. Um, And I think at the, at the lower level where, where there is a real resource scarcity um, you can draw a straight line to some of these things being positive. I, I, for me, I, I look at it at, and at the end of the day, the product that college athletics is selling is not just elite football or elite basketball. You are also selling an experience. You're also selling personal identity. You're selling decades and decades of history. And that history evolves. And some of the rivalries that are dead now stay dead and it's okay. And sometimes you create new rivalries and that's okay too. I think there is a diminishing returns point where the the chasing after relatively short term profits in one sector undermines the quality of the whole product. And this is also a different industry. It's not just professional football, because while this is a business, we still have people that are pretending that it isn't. It's these are these are still uh, athletes that are not paid salaried. They're not given health care to the extent that a, an athlete with a, a collective bargaining agreement will. They're still state entities. Right. And so taxpayers and like lawmakers have some leverage in talking about these. And they are allegedly supposed to still serve an interest beyond just profit seeking. My only frustration is to look at some of these moves. Whether it's Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC, whether it's the Big Ten merging with the Pac-12, whether it's Notre Dame going somewhere else, whether any kind of consolidation of administrative power, institutional power, I only all, all think is if we're going to do that, we have to have a way better argument than just it makes money. Because there are other considerations here that have to be played. Look, I'm not joining the Drake group tomorrow. I'm not going to sit here on this podcast and say, we need to get money out of college athletics. No, like the, the, the shot that ship sailed in 1932. I'm just saying that, that that alone does not make something good or bad. There are other things that we have to consider. And I think that there are some pretty significant negative externalities that might come from this particular move.
1: Well I mean a, a great example of that uh, is, is something uh, you you've put on extra points is is the fact that uh, you know look at tailgating you know and, and how yeah that was such an integral part of, of going to a college football game and now you look around I mean Texas is a great example they have concerts there they they have you know branded you know tents that you can go to I mean it, it's definitely uh, a lot less of you know a couple of guys sitting around a grill in the back of a pickup truck and, you know it, that those kind of days are over and it's much more corporate um, you know entity you know, I, I was at a, at a school not too long ago and, you know, they were, they were talking about how essentially they're, they're taking a, a giant parking lot and, and they're turning it into uh, kind of a fan zone. Um, and, and obviously they're they're selling that. They're bringing a lot of revenue as a result of that. You know, it's no longer just parking spaces that they're selling. They're selling it for a lot more than than what uh, those spaces used to go to. And yeah, they're, they're taking care of, of some of their big time boosters, but the, the real... Average fan who might be only goes to you know one or two games a year, or who has had you know season tickets for forever and just wants to show up and, and watch a game. Those 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 type of wholesome kind of moments uh, surrounding college football are, are definitely getting uh, fewer and far between, and and that's definitely a loss for the sport. You know, it is what makes college football so special, and uh, hopefully, you know, a lot of the presidents, the athletic directors, they they can still kind of come to their senses a little bit and, and realize that that is part of the fabric of the sport. That's the part of the fabric of of college athletics and, and we can't lose that. And so hopefully there will be um, maybe a a little bit of a few more readjustment um, in in the coming years after some of these moves get made.
0: We can hope. I know, I know it's something that that's on folks' minds, but uh, I'm not willing to bet any of my money on uh, people with big egos and bigger wallets in the state of Texas erring on the side of administrative and institutional restraint, um, you and I both know you better than I do. <laughs> there's a hell of a lot of inertia to show it that, that generally doesn't happen. I, I don't know how this story ends. Um, you know, we're recording this here on a Thursday afternoon, uh, undoubtedly by Friday afternoon come news dump territory. There's going to be a couple other twists here. Um, I think it's going to one way or another. It's going to end expensive. Because the undefeated force in college athletics is billable hours. And by God, there's going to be a lot of this. There's going to be a lot of hurt feelings. Um, maybe it will lead to something that we'll all enjoy in a couple of years. Maybe it'll be something that we'll, 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 we'll pine for uh, later on. I don't know yet. But I, w- whatever ends up happening, we're definitely going to be talking about it. And we're definitely going to be writing about it on this podcast and on Extra Points, mm-hmm. which you can find at extrapointsmb.com. Brian, do you have any other final thoughts before we let these people go?
1: No, I think uh, expect the unexpected. You know, we've we've seen some wild turns to, to the story just kind of popping up. And, and I don't I don't think it's over yet. You know, we're, we're, we're going to see some some more news. The Big 12 uh, is, is meeting uh, on, on Thursday afternoon. I, I would imagine there's it's not going to be too much necessarily public uh, coming out of that meeting. But, you know, who knows? There, there's going to be a lot more twists and turns uh, left in this story. And uh, the impact that it's going to have on the larger college athletics ecosystem is, is going to. To be um, you know still up for, for debate, but it, it's going to be a, be a big one and uh, it, it's been a wild summer. I, I can't wait for for games this fall to actually start to take place and we can kind of focus on the action on the field but um, you know there are a lot larger forces at work and we're starting to see those uh, this week with this this particular story.
0: The forces off the field. That's that is that is kind of our wheelhouse. We do have some more podcasts coming up from, uh, with some special guests and friends of ours that are going to provide some deeper looks at the state of each conference. It's not just a straight football pecking order kind of preview because this is more of a, just a football podcast. We're going to talk about uh, some more institutional, existential, administrative type questions for all of those major leagues. We have some other fun things coming up soon. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Stay with us. Catch up with you later.